About a year ago, my dishwasher was on the fritz, and it was retaining water. Not like people retain water. That's kind of a different kind of retaining water. But it was just retaining water. And I don't know if your, if your dishwasher or other appliances ever do that. And it started to look like a bathtub at the bottom because it just nothing would go down. And I attempted, in the extent of my handyman capacity, which is very small, like my handyman capacity is like pretty much zero. Um, that wasn't it, but I thought if that was it, that would be really bad. Um, so I called someone, and my wife said, if you can't fix this, please call somebody. So anyways, I called someone, and they did their preliminary checks and all that kind of stuff, and then they started to check the hose connected to the, to the, like, the drain hose, and I'm like, that's impossible. That's too easy. I could have checked that. Like, why did I pay 75 bucks for someone to show up in my house and like, check the hose? And I thought I could have done that. Anyway, sure enough, it was blocked like a mix of coffee and particles and calcium buildup. The calcium buildup is the ugliest part, by the way. It's really gross. But, but, um, and it built up, and then it, became, it just had this obstacle in this hose. And it, I thought to myself, that's crazy, because here's this powerful machine with this pump and this motor pushing out water two times a cycle and the gravity on the other end, kind of, kind of the drain and where the water goes. And I'm like, what? just coffee? Coffee stopped this water? This is crazy. What's this kind of obstacle? And it made me think about, uh, first, I was very humbled and embarrassed because I didn't check the hose. I'm like, should have checked the hose. But then I realized like, how a small obstacle or little obstacles altogether, regardless of what kind, can just stop the flow of something that's meant to move, even in a powerful force. And I wonder if that's happened to you and you've seen it in other situations. If you've ever driven down the 401 and got stuck in an hour and a half standstill, something happened somewhere down the road. You know, somebody had an accident, which could be tragic, or maybe just a, a car stalled, and all of a sudden, like, everybody is just at standstill for two hours. Maybe even in life, right? The powerful love in a marriage can be obstructed by busyness or pride or unforgiven wounds. Maybe the, the power, the, the, a great trajectory in someone's career can be stunted or stalled because a lack of character or bad relationship skills or maybe addiction in someone's life that takes over them and just, you know, detours their career. It's these kind of obstacles that can do that even when there's movement. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, this theme called irresistible, and, and we started off looking at the irresistibleness of Jesus, how incredible Jesus was, how to, that we can just start looking at him with fresh eyes. Um, we looked at the irresistibleness of faith that the early church had, this faith in Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and how their faith grew through Jesus, just phenomenal as we walked through that. And then last week, we looked at the irresistibleness of community or fellowship, that, that, that um, a call of Christ, following Christ, in connection with being part of the body of Christ creates. And we looked at that last week. And if you missed some of that or want to go back and listen to some of that, we have it on our podcast. And I'd so encourage you to do that because part of our heartbeat this last month is to just, just take fresh eyes as we look at Jesus and faith and community. And, uh, and I want to do that today uh, in a different way because what, what happens is even in an irresistible movement or a movement of things, we can get slowed down or handicapped because of obstacles. Even a godly movement, a divine movement, a spirit-led movement can hit obstacles or can be stopped or thwarted or slowed down. And it fascinates me that the church or the early church, full of faith, following Jesus, on the, you know, kind of like um, just following the resurrection, right? This growing love that we explored last week. And yet they hit obstacles along the way as soon as they got started. Like, not like 
50 years later, as soon as they got started, they started hitting obstacles. And some of these obstacles had the potential of halting the whole movement if the Holy Spirit didn't get their attention, if the Holy Spirit didn't do something in them. And some of these obstacles we'll explore later were some assumptions they had or presuppositions they had of who God was or what God was saying or doing in the, in the moment. Some of them were prejudices they had towards people outside of themselves. Some of them were their own motives, their own pride, their own fears that, that, that inhibited them. So what I want to do today is I want to kind of take this backstory uh, of, of, of the book of Acts. And we looked at the book of Acts um, two weeks ago in Irresistible Faith and a little bit last week. And, and I'm going to do another canvas approach. Um, you know, we did a canvas of the Gospels and a canvas looking at the one and other passages last week. And I want to kind of do a canvas approach of Acts 10 to 15, these, these five chapters. Trust me, we're not going to go through a reverse. Um, I, I, I wouldn't do that to you. Um, but, but, but I want to do that. I want to kind of do this canvas approach. And I hope that even as we've done this the last few weeks, it'll inspire you to go back and say, I want to read the Gospels. I want to get a fresh look at Jesus. I want to read through the book of Acts, get a fresh look at the, the faith of the early church, the community of the, of the early church. I want to go and look at all the one another passages, these 80 or 100 uh, you know, quotations where the New Testament writers use this phrase one another to describe the community in the early church. So I hope that as we've kind of used this canvas approach this month, that it encourages you to jump into the scriptures and, and discover for yourself. It's not enough just to listen to me or us. It's so good if you do this on your own. So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 is one of the, one of the you know, famous passages because the Holy Spirit comes, pours on the church, something amazing happens. They, they speak in languages that other people understand and hear, and they start declaring God's goodness. Peter preaches his first sermon. It's amazing. 3,000 people come to faith. And then the end of the chapter describes this beautiful, knit community that are sharing together and eating in each other's homes and having a wonderful time growing in prayer and the apostles' teaching and breaking of bread. But within little time, it gets messy. Just read the next few chapters and not only persecution and hostility come against them, but stuff happens even inside of them, inside their community. Some of it's the normal challenges of faith and discipleship and prayer and generosity, but then they hit this major conflict. And, and what we talked about last week, the, the beautiful one anotherness of the early church gets tested. It gets tested. It, 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 they realize that they still had boundaries around the other in the one another that they still created their own boundaries, their own definition, their own safeguards of how they would define the other in the love one another. And for them particularly, what was happening for them is that many of the first early disciples came out of Judaism. They were Jewish. And as much as Jesus called them to reach the world, as soon as some non-Jewish, Greek, Gentile um, uh, people started to follow Jesus, their ethnic and religious guards started coming up. And this created a conflict internally for them and for their community. Now, before we start judging the disciples with a righteous posture and like, oh my gosh, like it's 2018, we're so over, 2019, it's so, we're so over this. The disciples grew up exclusively Jewish, often standing against the oppression of Rome, trying to kind of stay protected, keep themselves um, sane and moving forward. Inherent in their Judaism was the difference between clean and unclean people and practices. 
They, they grew up thinking that. Now, they spent three and a half years with Jesus, the first disciples, and then as others came along, and then this church started to grow. But they had years, decades, family traditions, religious practices that they were steeped in. And not all of them were bad, actually, because it comes out of the faith um, you know, that, that, that we, we see um, in the faith of Israel as God prepares this people to be a light to the world. But Peter has this vision in Acts chapter 10, and God gets Peter's attention, and it forces Peter to look at himself and look at his community and look at what's going on, and it forces Peter to look beyond his ethnicity, especially some of these food and circumcision laws that, that the Jewish people had, which separated them, which, which helped them identify themselves apart from other people. We eat this food. We eat like this. We have this practices. Uh, and then, th- you know, this practice separates us from the rest of the world. And what that was doing is it was keeping non-Jews from Jesus, It was keeping people that weren't like them from coming to discover Jesus, coming to discover this irresistible Jesus, this irresistible faith, this irresistible community. This mentality was becoming an obstacle. And something happens. Non-Jews start to receive the gospel. They start to receive this word of faith from the, the, the apostles and the church, and people are coming to faith, and they're starting to follow Jesus. And this is such a big deal that Peter goes to Jerusalem in chapter 11. And as he, go, he goes to Jerusalem, he retells the, the apostles the vision he has. I'm not going to go through it. You can read it in chapter 10 and chapter 11 of Acts. He retells this incredible vision that he has and what just happens because he knows, he sees these non-Jewish people come to faith. And he's like, well, okay, now what do I, how, do I, how do I deal with this? And there's an amazing part of the story in... Uh, in chapter 11, verse 15 to 17, let's read it off the screen together. He's, he's now describing what's going on, and this is a little piece of this story. As he's speaking to these non-Jewish people, this is what he says. As I began to speak to them, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. He's probably referring to Acts 2. He's probably referring to the fact that something tangible, some physical, visible evidence took place that they recognized the Holy Spirit came on them. Then I remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter is connecting what he, what he experienced, what he saw these new non-Jewish people experience now that the Holy Spirit comes on them, and what Jesus had said. And then he says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Isn't that crazy? He's like thinking and seeing the Holy Spirit's active here. They're experiencing something we experienced. They've come to know Jesus the way we're coming to know Jesus. This similar sign that took place is happening with them. Jesus told us he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. So it's the same source. And without going into too much detail, Peter's, I'm imagining he's thinking, if God is doing this, how can I stand in its way? If God is doing this, then how can I stand in its way? Peter could not resist what God was doing, even though he was coming up with some obstacles. Now, we'll talk about the obstacles in a minute. But this was this irresistible movement now taking place. It was so um, 
powerful that Luke uses the word spread a couple of times or in different variations it comes up. The word of God began to spread and flourish. He says in chapter 12, a great number believed, a large number of disciples, uh, you know, gathered together. And so we see that what happens. Now, this is in the middle of persecution. What we don't read is the chapters before where someone is actually stoned to death because he's a follower of Jesus. You'd think movement over, dead, finished, but that doesn't happen. The church gets spread and, and scattered to different regions. And all of a sudden, they pick up mission wherever they go. It's like they were, doing, they were serving God together, growing together, learning together, faith growing. Now they get scattered because this persecution comes, hostility comes, and they get scattered to all these regions. Well, they just pick up the mission there. And a few people come back from Antioch and Cyprus and tell this to Peter he says, we began to speak to Greeks also, telling them about the good news about our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what takes place. All of a sudden, these people come to know Jesus. They're sharing the message to non-Jews. And they realize that people are turning to God. And they recognize that as they break out of their bubble, of their circle, of their perception, of some of the obstacles that they even discovered, God starts to bless them. I love the, the words that, that Luke uses. In the next slide, you'll see it. He says, the Lord's hand was on them. That's how, how you know, what, what, what um, we understand, how they're, they're, dis, they're discerning what's happening, that they saw the grace of, what the grace of God had done. So the Holy Spirit's at work. The Lord's hand is on them. The grace of God is doing this. Something incredible is taking place. It's a movement. It's a movement. But I want us to just stop for a second because movements can be stopped or halted or stalled when obstacles take place. And there's a couple of obstacles that take place in this whole story that I think we can relate to in our day and age, that we can relate to even as we try and live out our faith in society, try and grow in faith. And, and I was tempted to, to, to kind of list some personal obstacles and I had some great feedback this week also when I posted a question online and, and some really uh, significant uh, obstacles articulated back to me, like sometimes the fear we might have uh, in, in, in walking out in faith or uh, the, the false lies that we believe, that, you know, that, that we can't, God won't use us in this way or, or other things that we believe in ourselves. And those are so important. These kind of obstacles are really important and we do need to deal with them. But there's two I want to deal with today that I think are right in this story. And the first is how we understand Scripture can be an obstacle to the movement of Jesus. How we understand Scripture can be an obstacle to the, to the movement of Jesus. And I wrote the word down there, our presuppositions. See, this, is, this fascinates me because here's Peter who his Scriptures were the Old Testament Scriptures, the Law and the Prophets. Peter had some pretty strong convictions from the Law and the Prophets. And it was his reading of the Bible. It wasn't called the Bible back then. The Bible is a collection of 66 books. But his, his reading of his Bible or his understanding of the scriptures, which were the Jewish scriptures, actually became an obstacle to the movement of God. It's not that the scriptures were wrong or bad. His reading of the scripture and his living it out, all intertwined with his religious and cultural context, became an obstacle to the movement of God. It was his religious lens that influenced him not to reach out to those that were separate from him. It was his reading of his scripture that, and his lens that he had that created the obstacle for him to look beyond, non, beyond the Jewish people. 
and not associate with non-Jews. And it seems, seems strange considering it's the opposite of what Jesus wanted. He was, he was coaching them and mentoring them and, and, and discipling them towards reaching the nations, right? And even on the day of Pentecost, they started to see these other languages, although it was, it was mainly Jews who were listening to that. And we see this happen in the book of Acts and, of course, through history. But in that moment, in that moment, Peter's lens, his religious lens, the lens that he was reading into his own scriptures became an obstacle for him to actually participate in the movement of God. And it seems like Peter was still learning what it meant to come under the authority of Jesus, to come under the, 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 the lordship of Jesus. He is Lord. He is the authority. As the book of Hebrews says, God spoke in previous times through the law and the prophets and others, but now he speaks through his son. We looked at a couple of weeks ago where, 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 where Peter sees Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah pop up, but then they're gone, and it's only Jesus, and the voice says, listen to him. And so Peter's still learning how to follow Christ's authority and mission, and he's learning that balance between the continuity of the scriptures he's grown out of and the discontinuity that he also needs so he can follow Jesus into the future. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's still in the middle of, there's this continuity I want to respect and honor and live out of, and God was at work in, this, in history through this, from Abraham and Isaac and Israel and leading to this and leading to Jesus. But there's also this discontinuity that, I, that he's, they're wrestling through because Jesus is now leading us. Jesus is calling us. He is the fulfillment of Israel's vocation. He's the fulfillment of God's plans. He's the fulfillment of God's words. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so he's, he's in the middle of that. And so how we read our Bibles or the scriptures can sometimes be an obstacle to God's movement, and Peter experienced that. He had to come to terms with, where is Jesus leading us? He's fulfilling all that has happened. Where is he leading us? And this happens to us too. How we read our Bibles can be an obstacle to God's movement because sometimes we bring our own suppositions to the Bible. We bring our own suppositions to the scriptures. It doesn't matter if you're reading an Old Testament text, a, a prophet, um, a poem, a poet wisdom, uh, you know, the Gospels, the book of Acts, Paul's letters. We can sometimes bring our presuppositions to the scripture. And here's one of two things we can do. We can often make, turn, we, can, we can turn the Bible into our own image. We can turn the Bible into our own And now I bet you, I bet you right now, many of you are already you know, your light bulb is, is, is thinking of somebody else who's put the Bible in their own image. Oh, yeah, this guy or this person. Oh, yeah, I know how they talk. I wish they would just get my opinion, right? Like, and so it's, it's easy for us to think of others, right? And so we, we can fall prey to that. We can, we can put, make the Bible into our own image. And so what can happen, and this happens today as much as Peter was wrestling with it, we can read our, pol our politics, our personal politics into the biblical text. And then all of a sudden, the biblical text all of a sudden agrees with us. Like, wow, Jesus agrees with me. Like, this law disagrees with me. How amazing, right? And someone else is like, I don't think that agrees with you. And so we can, we can bring that, right? We can project our politics. We can project our culture, our cultural, um, you know, uh, system or thought or philosophy into the text. We can bring, this is one that all of us can, 
understand. We can bring our family upbringing into the text. It's like, well, this is how I've always been raised, and I see this verse, and it looks like it affirms what my dad taught me. So it must be. And then it's like, wait a second. You know, are, we, are we reading that? Like, I remember, I remember um, years ago, I was sitting with some young adults, and, and we were in a learning environment, and, and it was a Christian group, and, and many of them were Italian, and I happened to be Italian. And so we were talking about the way of Jesus and we started to talk about the theme of revenge, you know? And we started to talk about that, and I started to share about some teachings of Christ, and some of them started to share their experience and their family, and, and there was this disconnect. It's like, what do you mean I can't have revenge when someone hurts me? What do you mean if someone breaks my legs, I can't break their legs? Like, there was like mafia culture for them, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, but, I said, but aren't, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I follow Jesus. Don't, do you believe the scriptures? Yeah, but the scriptures is not forcing me to live. And it was all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a second. Are, is it your Italian, like, culture? Or is it your, like, worship of mafia culture, maybe? Like, wh- how, what are you reading into, the, into Jesus or the text, you know? And, and I remember thinking, like, wait a second. How, we can all, this can happen to all of us. We can read our culture, our family upbringing into the scriptures and, then, and not allow it to change us, to change our politics or our culture or our upbringing. And I'm sure you'll, you'll, you know, when I share some of the stories of my family, because I I just share too much when I speak, but um, I'm sure many of you think, of course, Dave, you should submit this to the Lordship of Jesus. Why haven't you done that years ago? But it's hard to look at yourself, right? Kind of reflect that onto yourself. Well, Peter had this issue. He was steeped in the baggage of his religious and ethnic past, and he didn't allow the authority and scope of Jesus' message to break him out of it yet. He didn't, it, it wasn't there yet. So he's hitting this obstacle. And this obstacle, if left untouched, if left unattended, if left unexamined, could have halted the whole movement. Another thing we do, and the second thing that we do when we, we sometimes... Uh, allow the scriptures our view of the scriptures to be an obstacle is we mix and match old and new covenant we mix and match old testament and new testament we sometimes forget that the bible is really the word biblio which is means a collection of books and it's 66 books we actually do not hold one book in our hands we hold 66 books over 50, written over 1500 years from 40 different authors in two or, or three different languages and telling us the overarching story of God, but there is definitely change in, there's, there's six, five or six different genres in, those, in the scriptures. There's poetry and history and, and prophetic and apocalyptic and gospel and teaching and narrative. You wouldn't interpret a poem the same way you interpret uh, a teaching, right? You wouldn't interpret a historical note the same way you interpret a story or a parable, And we sometimes forget that. And those 66 books are divided into two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. And Jesus' death and resurrection started the new covenant. It fulfilled the old. He didn't abolish it. He said he's come to fulfill it. But it was starting something new, right? And it was pointing towards the fullness of all that God wanted. And we see the fullness of of God in Jesus. I often tell people, if they struggle with how they're trying to discern who God is, I'm like, Jesus is the best reflection of God. And even sometimes as we read through the Old Covenant and the Old Testament and some of those stories, they were grasping at who God is and how to describe him. 
And, and, but always pointing forward, Jesus gives us the best picture. So the authority of the new covenant is Jesus. But we sometimes mix and match, right? We read a story of David in the Old Testament with equal merit as the apostles' teaching. You wouldn't do that, really. We don't, that story is telling us something. It could be very descriptive. It might not be prescriptive. Where the apostle Paul writes something that could be prescriptive. And sometimes we treat them in the same way. Sometimes we use an Old Testament story as a principle instead of an example, and we get into trouble. Sometimes we take, you know, we're, we're about to buy a house or maybe, you know, move into a new house, and we're reading through the book of Genesis, and we read this promise of Abraham to land, and all of a sudden we're like, that's my promise. This house is mine. God, just like God promised Abraham that land, he's promising me this house. I'm going to get the best mortgage. I'm going I'm to stand on this, this promise for land for me. And uh, would that be the best way to go about your next mortgage decision? I don't, I don't think so. But we mix and match sometimes, right? And so we have this going on at times in our culture. We, we see in the Old Testament um, where God specifically uh, led Israel not to marry other cultures because Israel was God's people, God's nation, and he was shaping them. And so to marry into another nation would mean to marry into a nation uh, of, uh, with people that did not, see, did not know God, right? Well, some people have taken that principle, and now even though nation-state divisions don't matter in the kingdom of God, they will look at that principle and say, no, there should be no intercultural marriages. They've just mixed and matched. No, you can't marry someone of a different race or nation. That doesn't, that's unbiblical because they're, they're mixing and matching. They're taking that principle and then they're mixing and matching. Someone in one, one side will say, um, God is against tattoos because Leviticus says it. But I believe in the death penalty because Leviticus says it. So they just mixed and matched. Don't wear tattoos because it's in the Bible. But, we, but let's, let's pursue the death penalty because it's in the Bible. But how are we, how are we mixing and matching? Um, maybe the worst case scenario would be if we took the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and decided to like, um, you know, create... A morale, uh, that's, that would become our moral strategy, you know? Anyways, if you don't know the story, forget it. I just said that. But consider Peter, though. The Holy Spirit gets Peter's attention, changes his heart, opens him up to what God is doing, to what Jesus always intended to do. And this is what he starts to do. He then reads back into the Old Testament through the authority of Jesus. He does this in chapter 13, verse 46 to 47. I think I have it on the screen. Here's Paul and Barnabas answer them boldly. They're, this is now part of the story where Paul and Barnabas are involved. And, uh, and, and, they're, and they're, 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 they're kind of like um, trying to help them understand what's going on here. Now listen to this. We had to speak the word of God to you first, speaking to the Jews. Since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded. Now they quote the Old Testament. This is Isaiah 49 and Habakkuk 1. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. I love that because now here what's happening is Peter starts to, Peter and Paul and the, the, the apostles start to read back into the Old Testament and start to see, oh, this is where Jesus was pointing. So now that Isaiah text, they're seeing it in the light of Jesus' mission. That Habakkuk text, they're seeing it in the light of Jesus' mission because Jesus becomes their authority. Jesus becomes their filter. 
When we read the scriptures without Jesus, and I don't mean, I want to be careful here, because if you're studying the Old Testament, you should study its context. But when we read the whole of scriptures without Jesus, we have the potential of getting the scriptures wrong. And they can become an obstacle to an irresistible movement of faith, movement of, of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit wants to lead us to Jesus. In fact, Jesus even said, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. He will teach you what I want to teach you. He will lead you to me and lead people to me. And that's the fullness of God's truth. I love the, the, the dynamic when Paul and Barnabas often go in the synagogues as they're trying to like spread the message of Jesus. And they go in the synagogues, and I was at a conference this last couple of days, and David Fitch, who um, is actually going to be here at the end of the month, he said something really interesting, and it stuck out to me. He said, when Paul and, and Barnabas went into the synagogue, they were not reha- just rehashing Israel's old story. Israel knew the story, but they didn't know that the kingdom had come. The people that, that, that Paul and Barnabas were speaking in the synagogue, they didn't go into the synagogue just to remind them of the law and the prophets. They didn't go into the synagogue just to go through the Ten Commandments. They didn't go into the synagogue just to rehash the story they already knew. They went into the synagogue to say, do you know that the kingdom of God has come? Do you know that that the Messiah has come and died and resurrected and has ushered in God's kingdom and you can be part of that? That's what they were doing in the synagogue. They weren't just rehashing the old. They were trying to show them God was doing something new and you can be a part of that. They knew the story. They didn't know that the kingdom had come. And that's what happens when we, uh, when, when sometimes the way we see scripture, it can become an obstacle for us. Beware of this obstacle because it will obstruct the fullness of God in your life. And it will obstruct the direction of God in your life. And it will obstruct the movement of God in our church. Irresistible faith didn't spread through Rome because they went around doing seminars on the Ten Commandments. It did. I mean, the Ten Commandments are important. But the faith in Jesus and the movement of Jesus did not spread through Rome because they just re-preached the Ten Commandments. It spread through Rome because they lifted up the crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus. Right? Right? If we were an amen church, you would say amen at that point. But I, uh, I think so. But that, that's the truth. That's who they preached and lifted up. And then they started to see the scriptures in all of Jesus' light and insight and wisdom and authority. But here's this next piece, and it's going to be shorter than the first piece, first obstacle. How we view people can be an obstacle to God's movement. How we view people can be an obstacle to God's movement. And these are our prejudices, not our presuppositions. They're our prejudices. And Peter went through this because Peter struggled to look beyond himself. The first Christians that were Jews struggled to look beyond themselves. In fact, the whole book of Galatians, this is in one sentence what the book of Galatians is. Paul is trying to tell these people, you don't have to become Jewish to become a follower of Jesus. To a non-Jew... You don't have to become Jewish to become a follower of Jesus. You can become a follower of Jesus. That's, that's Galatians in a nutshell. And, but now they were working that out in Galatians, but here Peter is struggling to look beyond himself. He's struggling to look beyond his race, beyond his color, beyond his neighborhood, beyond, beyond his, his practices, beyond his style, beyond his schedule, and all that kind of stuff. And you know what? The movement could have died right there at that obstacle. 
The movement of Jesus could have died right there if Peter didn't get that vision from God that shook him up to look beyond himself. And that's so true even for us. We will stop or can stop or halt or stunt or slow down the movement of God among us if we don't look beyond ourselves. If we don't look beyond the color of our skin and our ethnicity and our socioeconomic status and our experiences, the movement of God could have stopped right there if Peter did not take that vision seriously and and allow it to eject him out of his circle, out of his bubble, out of his mindset, out of his presuppositions and prejudices. See, the Holy Spirit led the apostles to look beyond themselves. It's amazing. When there was a need, the early church, the Holy Spirit led them to share. In Acts 6, when there's these, they start to realize that these Hellenistic widows compared to the Hebraic widows, they were not, they were not getting the food distributed like they were. They, they were getting like shortcutted. They were getting shortcutted. And someone's like, hey, what's happening here? You know, the Hebrew women are getting more than us. What's going on? And all of a sudden, the apostles, like, they're, they're busy. They're busy. They're busy teaching and preaching and, and, and going around. They're like, oh, we don't, this, is, this is not good. We should fix this. So they pray. They stop. And you know what they do? The Holy Spirit leads them to choose seven Greek, Hellenistic people to manage the distribution. Not seven Hebraic people seven Hellenistic people, in that moment, as they listen to the Spirit and the Spirit leads them, pushes beyond themselves. Peter gets stuck in his own ethnic head. The Holy Spirit shakes him up with a dream. And he wakes up to God's missional purpose, which included everybody. But he could have got stuck in his own prejudices. He could have got stuck in his own skin. He could have got stuck in his own ethnicity. He could have got stuck in his own neighborhood. But God woke him up. And that had such a ripple effect through church leaders that it led to their first council in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, this, all, all this comes to the head because now the church is like growing with all these kinds of people and these different ethnicities and, and, and these non-Jewish people and, and now they're wrestling. The, it's kind of head to head like, well, this is how we practice things and we follow this and most of us, most of these people were circumcised and these aren't and the, you know, this, this is the food we eat and now we do table fellowship and I can't like, I don't know what to cook anymore. This is crazy. What's going on? And, and so they came head to head. And it became the first church council where they wrestled through the direction of the Holy Spirit, how they would proceed. They had to discern and wrestle under that. What shall we do? How must we respond to this? How, how can, we, how can we, we make sure that we do not stop the movement of God from moving forward? What must we do? How can we not become an obstacle to this? And it was a make it or break it moment. And the apostles were so wise under the direction of the Holy Spirit. They chose a few things to, to, let these, to let this growing church with non-Jews um, participate in. But here's the heart of what they said. Acts chapter 15, and I wanted to put it on the screen so we could read this one. This is what they said. This was the simplicity of what they said. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That's such a convicting phrase. How often have I made it difficult for someone to come to Jesus? Because I'm more interested in them becoming like me than becoming like Jesus. 
Or I'm more interested in them worshiping like me than getting close to Jesus. Or I'm more interested in them, you know, getting into our church style or our church environment than getting close to Jesus. Or maybe because, yes, I, have, I, I connect with friends this way or this way, or I'm part of a certain social economic group or ethnic group that I, now it's like, you know, I, it's, I'm, I'm more interested in them looking like the way I express my faith than them actually really coming to faith. We should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. How often has, and I, and I just, I plead um, discernment and forgiveness even if our church has ever made it difficult for people to come to faith. I don't mean not preaching a strong gospel or preaching a strong message of coming to faith in Christ, but what I mean is when we've put our stuff in the way, our stuff in the way, our prejudices and our presuppositions in the way. These obstacles that could have stopped this irresistible movement. Man, I'm so glad they listened to the Spirit. Aren't you glad they listened to the Spirit? Because none of us would have been here today. I'm so glad they listened to the Spirit. And as we looked the last couple over this, we can see they became a Jesus-centered people. Jesus became their authority. They became a people-centered people. They recognized that God was calling to everyone. And then they became dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. They weren't a power-centered people. They were a power-dependent people, dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so grateful that at every turn, as we read through the book of Acts, these potential obstacles, as the Holy Spirit intervenes, and the moments that they responded turned into an opportunity. The obstacles turned into opportunities. The obstacles were broken. It doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that God automatically saves all of our mistakes. But when we're sensitive to his spirit, when we're sensitive to what he's doing, when we're sensitive to his voice, when we're sensitive to him getting our attention and saying, this is an, you are creating an obstacle here. When we're sensitive to that, and we allow the spirit to break that, it turns into an opportunity for continued movement. So here's my question as we come to wrap this up. What obstacles are you facing? What obstacles are in your life that maybe you've inherently created? And they're obstacles for you to truly live into God's purpose for you. For you to truly live into God's mission for you. For you to truly live into God's fullness for you. What obstacles are inherent there? And I don't know, it could be political, it could be cultural, it could be personal, it could be family, it could be any of those things. What obstacles are there in your face right now that are really, if you don't allow the Spirit to break through, you're, you're going to miss out on the movement of God in your life. And ask the question for me, and ask the question for our church. What obstacles have maybe we erected, or we created, or we bought into that we're facing as a church, that if we don't allow the Spirit to break, to change, to, 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 to transition us out of, we will, we will not see the movement of God in our church as much as God wants to work. Or we will not see the fullness of all He wants to do in and through us, the transformation in our lives, the transformation in our friends, the, the way He wants to use us in mission. What obstacles have we allowed? And here's the thing, we must acknowledge them. I must acknowledge them. We must face them. We don't have to face them with fear. The Holy Spirit wants to renew us and change us. And, and I'm sure Peter looked back and said, I'm so glad. I'm so glad I didn't let that obstacle stand. I'm sure the early church looked back and said, I'm so glad I didn't let that obstacle stand. 
Each obstacle has the potential of slowing or crushing the movement of God, but it doesn't have to when we're continually dependent on the Spirit. Amen? We're going to close, um, and I just want to take a moment of prayer. Maybe the team can come up just for a couple of minutes as we pray, and just take a moment to pray together because it's so important. I, w- I want to pray this prayer um, because it's a prayer that's been, been part of our church since we started, and it's Ephesians chapter 3. And as I was reflecting on teaching this week, this, this prayer came to my mind again, and I thought, wow, I'm not... I've preached on that text so many times. And I was thinking, God, are you leading me to change my thoughts or my message? And as I, re- as I re- remembered the prayer and reflected on that prayer again in Ephesians 3, it was this, just this beautiful reminder. This prayer reflects the, this irresistible theme we've been talking about, the irresistible Jesus, the irresistible faith, irresistible community, boldness and movement forward. And so I, I want to just turn our attention to the screen And uh, I want to pray this prayer together. And then just take a moment as after we pray this prayer to allow the Spirit of God to work in our own hearts, to move in our own hearts. And I want us to pay attention to how it brings up even the themes of the last few weeks. We'll just pray slowly, slide by slide. And I'll I'll direct this when we go to the next part of the prayer in the next slide. So let's pray this. I pray that out of His glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Just pause there for a second. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the irresistibleness of Jesus. The heart of this prayer, as we pray this, we're saying, Lord, strengthen our insides, our heart and our soul and our perceptions, our sensitivities so so Jesus can reign fully and more supreme in our hearts so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Let's continue the prayer. Let's pray together. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see that as you're being rooted and established in love. Jesus taught us last week, love one another as I have loved you. That's the love we're rooted in, his love. And that we would have power together, not all, not just individually, together with all of the Lord's people to grasp the incredible love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge and then that overflows. And here's, here's the last part of the prayer. You can move to the next slide. Let's read this together. Let's read it boldly and loudly. You ready? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work among us. That is irresistible faith. That we trust, we put our faith in Jesus. We're saying, we're trusting that his power would be be at work in us. Remember, Jesus-centered, right? Jesus-centered, people-centered, not power-centered, power-dependent. If we become power-centered, power will corrupt us. Our love for power will corrupt us. When we become power-dependent, we're dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's what we're praying there, that God would unleash a community of irresistible faith according to His power that is at work within us. Amen. Let's stand together 
Guys, just lead us through the bridge of that song. We're just gonna just end singing the bridge of the song we sang earlier. Spirit, lead us. Spirit, guide us. Maybe in a path forward that seems unknown to us, but that he's trusting us towards. And as we sing this, I'm gonna just invite you to let the Holy Spirit break down any barriers in you, any obstacles in you, anything that's stopping you, even from putting your faith in Jesus, anything that's even stopping you from moving forward to fully see Jesus as he is, to fully engage in a life of faith as he longs for, to fully contribute and be a part of a community of faith that has love for one another. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to lead us as we just use the words of this song as a prayer. Father, we, we, we pause and thank you right now because the incredible work of your spirit, the lifting up of your son Jesus. God, we know we don't, we don't get it perfect and the way we speak and teach we trust that we are in line with, with your truth and with the, the work of the gospel. But we also recognize our human frailty and um, our own presuppositions and prejudices that we often bring into the lens that we read scripture and understand you and follow you. So God, we just ask you right now to break those things in our lives. We long for the movement of your Holy Spirit, this irresistible movement that points to Jesus and faith and community in such a way that transformed the first centuries of the early church and the world around them. We long to live into that in our day. And God, if there's any obstacles that we've erected, God, we just surrender them to you, that you would break them. We confess them before you right now, God. We confess the times that we often read our want into your truth rather than letting your truth shape our wants and desires. God, we confess to you that, that there's that we often, God, bring our politics to you to shape what, what we, we want your word to say, God, but we want your word to shape us and to shape our view of the world and of people and of each other, God. God, we don't want to be interested in landing on one side or the other. We want to allow your truth to shape us, mold us, God. And so we confess those things before you. God, we confess any of our prejudices right now that we have. We all have them. I have them. They have have grown in us from a variety of sources and experiences, God, but we confess that they're there. Forgive us and break them in us, Lord, we pray. We want to assume the vocation of being your people that brings light to the nations. We pray against anything that hinders that. God, now we just, we, we give you ourselves and commit ourselves to you and trust your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us forward. We pray into this next season as a church as well, Lord, that you would lead, you would guide 
teach us and shape us, convict us. Help us to see the opportunities before us to live into your mission, to grow in our faith, oh God. Help us to see the people around us that we lock eyes with that matter to you. They matter, they matter to you, God. We pray that they would matter to us. So whether it's an invite, a conversation, opening up our home for coffee, however your spirit orchestrates that, God, we say we're ready. We're ready to jump into the irresistible movement of your mission in our day and age, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.